recording now. We are recording now. Savannah, welcome to the studio. Very glad to um very glad to get you up. And also I am I'm impressed that you both managed to make it into the studio this early after last night. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. My pleasure. Right, we did the um HR icebreaker. You mentioned something in the icebreaker. Drinking my coffee, that uh, I wanted to ask you more about, and that was you mentioned in your icebreaker that there was a point. There's been a point in your recent past where you decided that you needed to you needed to reduce the uh, reduce the qu- the quality of the people in your life, reduce the circle with your words, improve the quality of people you're surrounded by, and reduce the number of people you're surrounded by. Right. I would like you to elaborate on that, please. Why? <laughs> So I went through a bit of a time <laughs> um, where I just seemed to be surrounded by some just very, very not good people. Um, you know, then I left the army. Um, but people who just... Sometimes you meet people and no matter what you do, it's never going to be right or enough. And they will just keep taking and you meet people who behave in a certain way that isn't great and then find a validation for it. They have an excuse for it or they suddenly switch their behaviour so that you sort of question, well, you know, are they that bad? And you end up suddenly a year's gone by and actually that person's made you pretty miserable at least half of the time. Um, When, who are you trying to stay friends with somebody for so when people say blood's thicker than water family but you don't choose your family so if you can't choose your family and you sometimes have to put up with people or in some cases you just don't then have anything to do with certain members of your family (coughs) why then are you putting up with it from anybody else and i think it's very very easy to kind of think you don't want to let people down or you don't want to be harsh or you don't want to it's very easy to be too giving, I think. And sometimes you have to realise that some people are not going to value you as a friend, no matter how much you give to them or how much you do for them. And so what are you clinging on to? You're just making yourself miserable. And for me, when I left the army, I I moved to the other end of the country. I started afresh. And so it was very, very easy for me to kind of say you know, there's people up north who I'm still friends with, obviously, and there's people from the army that I'm still friends with, but I kind of started brand new and I sort of thought to myself, I don't need to have a massive circle full of people that will make me feel like some people have before. So now I just, yeah, keep it lighter. (laughs) Lighter load. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. I was was thinking about something similar to this last week. Uh, I can't remember why I was thinking it. But it was on, it was yeah, sort of the same topic. Like, why, why do I feel the need to uh, put a lot of effort into pursuing staying in contact with someone when all the effort is on my side? Why am I doing that? And it was specifically around family members. So there's probably like any, well, maybe not probably like any family, but my 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 family heritage is Catholic. I've got fucking cousins everywhere. 
Catholics liked to have children back <laughs> in the day, right? Couldn't for various reasons, right? Especially on my mother's side. There were kids, she's like, I've got cousins everywhere. And I would, I, I place a huge value on family. Um, I did. A huge value on family, and so I, I would go. I have gone to very, uh, very big lengths to try and either stay in touch with people, or connect with people who I'm not connected with. Predominantly cousins, right? First cousins, second cousins, third cousins, because of that family thing. Stress me out. Stress me out, and I've got annoyed at sometimes when I think, why, why are these people? As in, I'm not going to name names, but why are these people? Like not even responding to me. We've never fallen out. I've never like I've never s- spoken ill of them. Although I am now, <laughs> never spoken ill of them. I've never done anything to harm them. Why are they not even? Why is it not even a response? You know, to oh, hi, how are you doing? Or hi, saw you in the area. Let's meet up. I'm in your area. Why not? I need to stress me out. And now, like sort of the revelation last week is, I think. A little bit to your point is, why am I fucking worried? Like the only reason I'm emotionally invested in those people is because there's a, a bloodline there, because they're in inverted commas family, and then I, that calls me to think about well, what's family, or, or and who are the people I should value in life, and the people I should value, they uh, they fall between the categories of family and, and friend, blood and not blood, and probably the the people I value most. Other people I've had, uh, I've experienced extreme circumstance with, or we've got shared experience with. In my case, a lot of military p- people, predominantly military people, and his family are close. But what it, what I was thinking about is thinking, but what what caused me to do was <coughs> I've <coughs> I sort of cut off that level of stress now from those people I've been trying to contact for years. For years, I just not, why, why am I why am I bothered about staying in touch with someone who is providing no benefit to me? I don't mean benefit in a in a selfish way. In fact, let's go back. Not, why am I trying to stay in touch with someone who's caught? It's causing me stress, and I'm only doing it because I'm trying to be a decent person. Because you've got a commas family. Why bother? I've cut that out now. You know, if if they're not the kind of person who is willing to reciprocate the positive efforts I'm going to to connect with them, then fuck them. Do you know what I mean? I think it, it ties in with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it, what's quite liberating when you just... Because everybody's so different to that person, they might think <coughs> they've got some stuff going on, they're really busy, or they haven't answered, they don't give it a second thought because they've got a million things that they're doing and it's just not coming to their mind. But you then sit there and stew <coughs> on it when actually it's so much easier to just say, well, do you know what? If I message somebody and they don't reply, well, you know, I'll just carry on with my day and just don't put as much effort into the stress of it and then when people do reply then you just focus in on your attention on that and sometimes I think the easiest thing to remember it by is when you were friends with people before you joined the military so you probably didn't really stay in touch with many of them you didn't have any ill feeling towards them you haven't actually fallen out with any of them you just don't see them as much and I I know for me some of my friends from school I still speak to some of them and I you know still friends and see some of them sometimes, but generally, it's been a good few years, probably 10 years since I've seen some of them. But you know, nowadays with social media, you can just like something and you know, it's easy enough to interact in one way or another. But I know if I saw them, there would be no 
ill will there or anything. We would, you know, how have you been and everything would be fine. And I think sometimes you have to just do that more immediately as well. So your more immediate family and your more immediate friends where you can easily sit there every day and text somebody and not get a response. Or you can just think, well, if you're not bothering with me, then I'll just wait and see if you text me at some point. And then when they do, then there's no bad blood there. You reply and whatever, but you're not constantly having like an anxiety about it because every, everybody is different, aren't they? So I always have my phone with me somewhere. You can guarantee that there will be a response at least the same day. <laughs> but I know plenty of people who you'll message and you just won't ever hear back from them. And then you'll see them and they'll act as if they, they've never ignored a message, <laughs> which is like crazy, but right. everybody's I think, different. <laughs> I think that's a woman thing. Oh my God. Oh my God. I've got a lady friend, right? And she has got friends. Funny enough. She will text. I've known instances where she's text them to your point. No response. Even where, like, they're meant to be, she's meant to be meeting up with them, right? And it's been arranged. And the day of that meeting, text to check if it's still going on. No response. No response all day. And then no response the next day. Then like a week later, you get a text from that person. As if there was none of that history of chat happened. None of the ignoring happened. Mental. That wouldn't happen with blokes. That's a woman thing. It wouldn't happen with blokes. It's like if someone did that to me, or it has happened, if someone did that to me, I would say, what the fuck are you playing at? That is out of order. Why were you ignoring me? This is we were meant to we were meant to meet up at one o'clock on da 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 day and you didn't bother doing it. It's happened that meeting up example, that's happened twice to me from blokes. Uh, like we're talking over the last twenty years. Twenty years? How old am I? Forty one. Forty. Not forty one, forty. Twenty. Yeah. Over the last fifteen years, ten, fifteen years. They those guys they are not a positive part of my life anymore. Like you, that's not a friend. In my, that's a, but that's a woman thing. Why do women think that's all right to do that? It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, but I think it's crazy. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. How could you do that to someone? Can you imagine? I mean, can, oh, I know. Can I you know. imagine doing that to someone? You meant to be. So how? The, the I've turned up before to see God, a friend and, and being like, oh, I'm here, and nothing, and then like gone home, and then like a few weeks later, just being like a text. Oh, so should we do something today? <laughs> well, we were supposed to be doing something two weeks crazy. ago. <laughs> Crazy. Well, yeah, 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 it's weird. Um, coming back onto the point of the, do you know when I first started thinking about that that sort of friend or, or influence evaluation, it was actually off a, a, a lad he used to serve, but he's, he's only young. He's, this guy's mega. Uh, his name's Ash Fletcher. Uh, he listens occasionally to the podcast. Maybe he does. I know he's listened to some in the past. Maybe he just tells me he listens, but he doesn't actually listen. Anyway, I mentioned his name anyway, just in case he listened to this one. Uh, but he's, what is he now? He's only like 27, maybe. He did four or five years or six years, maybe, serving with six. But this bloke is like, he's like, um, he's so disciplined. He's so, uh, he's so with it in terms of um, mindfulness and mental well-being. And he's just on the ball with it all. And he's, he, he reads a lot and he listens a lot to stuff about it. And he was talking about this last year. I can't remember what he was I can't remember what he would, um, what he'd been reading, but I got a text out of the blue from him, and it was a real nice text. It said something like, 
um, hey mate, uh, just want to let you know, I really like the person you are. Um, I think uh, you're a really good person. Um, I value you a lot. Blah 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 blah. And I wish all the best for you. And I was like, what the fuck? What's, what? It's weird. And then and then when we were talking about it the next day, he'd basically been reading. Ah, oh, what fuck was? Oh, it's, it was a, it was a, the Mind Journal. Have you heard of that? It's a men's. It's pitched as a men's thing, right? But it's it's equally for women. Any any people really. But it's a journal where every day. Um, I bought one off the back of him doing it. Every day of the year, uh, no, for three months, th- it starts off with a question. You have to answer the question. It's literally writing it, answer the question. And then there's some, like, a uh, like a tick box exercise, how you're feeling and all this shit. And then there's a, there's like a, it's basically a question each day. You have to answer it. It causes you to think about your life. It basically is what it does over 90 days. And he'd been doing that. And one of the, um, one of the questions in there was around, like who who is in your life that you value the most? You have to name five or six people or whatever, and then it prompts the thought of, well, who in my life do I not value at all, and why am I wasting effort on them? And but there's a the the people you value in life shouldn't be. I want to clarify what I was saying earlier because it it can count sound quite selfish you talk about like cut the chaff is you know, get rid of people who aren't any benefit to you it that sounds like oh you always want to take you want to people who don't get, no it's not the case like there's people in my life they're a benefit to me because i'm a positive influence on them like i don't get anything from them i don't get you know i don't get money you know i don't get favors i don't want money or favors but merely being connected with them their knowledge their experience their 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 life and being a part of their journey is positive for me. Does that make sense? Because I know that I'm a positive influence on them. It's like help the helping thing, right? You know, um, and so that's where it came from. Like, uh, it's a really important lesson to understand. I think that people pay lip service to. Evaluate who's in your fucking life. Don't bother wasting effort on engaging with people who bring you nothing. Or, again, when I say bring you nothing... It's about being I'm not, mutual yeah, respect, yeah, yeah, though, yeah, isn't I, it? You know, yeah, when you... it's not about bringing nothing, it's not a... Yeah, it's not. I don't. I don't mean selfishly. Bring you. Oh, I'm friends with him because he can. He's mates with such and such, or he can get me. No, it's not like that. Like you said, has to be either a mutual benefit or they are. They are a negative influence. A negative influence. This is really touchy subject actually, because it can sound like oh, only, only, only have people in your life who can give you something. Because that's not what I'm saying. No, but it's about not being taken advantage of, I think. is that That's where the yeah. mutual comes into it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. if you do something for somebody, it's not that you ex- you do it because you're expecting a thanks of any kind, but I can never imagine somebody doing something for me and me not acknowledging it. I can't. If, if you did a favour for me and then the time came and I needed something and you, were, and you needed something and I was nowhere to be found, I would think that that was really lacking on my part. And it's not that I would think that you would expect me to do something to help you because you've helped me. It It's just, I think that's what normal people do. <laughs> I just, just, that's, you know, mutually fair, isn't it? Um, even in the sense where you're saying there about, you know, it's not about money or whatever, but even in terms of camaraderie, you can't be the person who's always trying to, 
cheer somebody up or ha- you know and I don't you know we don't want to say that in terms of mental health because people have ups and downs obviously and you, but things can never be one-sided because otherwise it's just being taken advantage of across all senses of a friendship does that make sense <laughs> yeah to your point with the, with the exception of mental health yeah yeah anyway yeah yeah um, but even there, I mean, talking there like about the mental ill health, but if you came to me having an issue, like I would be more than happy to sit there and listen and if you wanted advice or whatever. But can you imagine then if six months down the line you're in a better place and I'm in a bad place and I then come to you and say, I just need to get it off my chest. I don't even need you to offer me any pearls of wisdom. I just need someone to sit and have a brew with and talk to. And then you are nowhere to be found then. That's kind of where the mutual comes into it because your friends are supposed to be your friends or your family's supposed to be your family through highs and lows. So it needs to be mutual. Yeah, I know what you mean. The people I I value the most in life now are the people I know. If I, like, if I was to ring them, let's say I didn't answer, but then text them and say, I need to talk to you, like, no, they would call me. Well, it's very easy to be somebody's friend when they're in a good place and they want to go out and have fun and they want to go and have a laugh. It's harder to then maintain being friends with somebody when you know that they're going through a really hard time and you potentially can't do anything to help them other than just listen. So if you can't rely on somebody at the easy part, you know, when you're saying there about people don't show up or people don't respond to a text, well, that's the easy part. Because that's when everything's going well and everybody's happy. And if you can't be responsive at that time, what sort of friend are you going to be during a bad time? So I think like when we were saying there about sometimes you have to have a look at who responds when you're saying to them, you know, even just a hi, how are you text? They ignore it. Do you want to do something? They ignore it. It's not to take it personally because you never know what that person's going through and it probably isn't personal. They maybe have some things going on, but you do have to question, well, how much are you going to chase that? Because you can guarantee that if you're then going through something, they won't be there for you. Because they're not there even now. (laughs) Bringing you this podcast today are Combat Cigars. Combat Cigars was founded in 2021 by three friends, three former colleagues in the Parachute Regiment, the British Army. And I'm very glad to say I am one of those three. Very glad to have been invited into the company. And it is super exciting to be working with those guys again. Combat Cigars sources its cigars from a family who have been rolling cigars in the heart of Colombia for over 200 years. The cigars that Combat Cigars supply to you are only available through Combat Cigars. You cannot get these anywhere else. Each cigar is unique, and we have four currently in the collection. We have the Last Post, we have the Oath of Allegiance, we have the Center of Mass, and we have the Victory. The Victory features on its cigar band the medal ribbon of the South Atlantic Medal with rosette. Very significant at the moment, given that it is the 40th anniversary of the Falklands conflict. Head over to combatcigars.co.uk to see the collection. Also check out the Combat Cigars Humidor, which is handmade out of ammunition tins, and will keep your cigars perfectly stored for whenever you need them. When you think of cigars for your next event, or the next event you're at, be it a wedding, 
be it a mess do, a dining in, a dining out, a promotion, or just getting together with your old crew, think Combat Cigars. CombatCigars.co.uk Who did you have to lean on when you were in your toughest times? So I had my mum. I was a good seven hours away, so it was tricky, but she, uh, yeah, she was about, and uh, a couple of my mates. Where were you based? I was up in Scotland. Where's your mum? She's Buckinghamshire. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I had my friend, Hope, um, and Sophie. Uh, they... Your friend's called Hope? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and they would, they would come up to Scotland sometimes. So that was quite nice. And, and poor Hope, she gets an earful. Whenever I need to have a good rant about anything, really, <laughs> she's my go-to. <laughs> so... Yeah, women are good at ranting. Women are good at listening as well. I think men are worse at that. Mm. I reckon. <laughs> I think so. Listening and the ranting type. Yeah, we could, probably because you just don't talk as much. You know, if we go to a hairdresser, we'll talk about all sorts. If we sit having a coffee, we'll talk about all sorts. Men don't really do that. So I suppose you don't tend to have to listen, do you? Because you don't sit just chewing mm. the fat. Mm. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I'm not a bloke, so I don't know. <laughs> No, you're right. I don't know why that is. But, well, I'd say I don't know why it is. They <sighs> I mean, one of the reasons women talk more, right? Women have so much, they do so much more. They're so much more dangerous with the with the voices that come out of their mouth, <laughs> with, the, with the noises that come out of their mouth, uh, with words, is because, well, f- from from an evolutionary perspective, like women's highest level of escalation it is is less likely to be violent than what it is for men so men resolve conflict with violence women resolve conflict with words so why so bitchy you know if you if if, uh, if even even if the, I was generalizing there but bitchy sorry you know, if you think about um, kids, teenagers, whatever, when boys are having an argument at school, that results in a fight. When girls are having an argument, it gets protracted over days, probably, and it involves talking behind backs, WhatsApp groups, Facebook, ch- well, not Facebook, but Instagram chat and Snapchat chat, saying stuff about the other the, the person that you're at conflict with and it's all it it's like emotional they weaponize emotions whereas boys men weaponize the fists so i think that's where the chattiness comes in is because it's such a critical part and and also it's how it's how to demonstrate how women we get flight down now how women uh, it's like pr- pretty much apart from from looks it's how women can make themselves attractive to men in an in from a, a, a world evolutionary historically you know in our, our ancestors where it was a challenge to find a mate which is where we are now whereas men to make themselves attractive one is looks right and two is physical acts being the fucking alpha male, you know, being the strongest person, being able to fill everyone else in. 
was different for women. I think that's why it's more chatty. Well, I went down the fucking weeds there, didn't I? <laughs> oh my God. But it's an interesting point though, because when we talk about talking versus physical acts, is that why more men die of suicide? Because women will get to a point where eventually they will talk about it and men have to go for a physical act. You know, yesterday I was talking to your cousin who works in mental health and she was saying that women more internalise it. So you would have more the quiet self-harm. But for men, you know, like women don't generally hang themselves. So, Well, interesting fact. So more women, tr- more women attempt suicide but more men commit suicide. Did you know that? So there's a higher percentage of women will become suicidal, Mm. but more men than that commit suicide. Did you know that? I didn't, but I feel like it makes sense. Yeah, so uh, so there's there's two elements to it. Mm. Uh, One is that, one is that crudely, men are just better at committing suicide than women. Right, because we've, more violent we more uh we 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 use cruder methods you know a bullet um hanging uh uh but the other one is that when women become suicidal uh i'm fucking generalizing you so i'm just you know before people lynch me pardon the pun but um a significant percentage of the time it is their last cry for help, as opposed to being a serious attempt at suicide. It is a half-assed attempt at suicide, because they're in uh, so much pain. They don't know how else to demonstrate it, so it's you know, um, not enough pills or whatever. You know, that's yeah, that's so. But, but more women get to that point than men, but more men kill themselves. Yeah, yeah. What was the question? I remember but it was a very interesting point <laughs> I mean both depressing mm. you know you don't want anyone at any situation to, even to be thinking about it um, did you ever get to that point you ever consider suicide no because I think I'm more one of those people where I go into a if somebody said to me tomorrow you're gonna die I wouldn't be bothered I wouldn't not now but when I'm in that place um, <laughs> no, just I, I'm more one of those. I don't care about dying rather than I would actively go after it. So, no, I don't think, I, don't think I've ever been at a point where I've thought to myself, oh, I know I'll do that. But I've definitely been in a place where, you know, when we were talking a bit before about that near death experience and kind of coming out of it and literally out loud asking the universe like why did I survive that to now be in such a rubbish place anyway um so if if you're okay to so mm-hmm. people haven't listened to the, the icebreaker yeah, yeah. right can you summarize don't go in depth because I know how emotive a subject it is yeah <laughs> just summarize what you're talking about there as in near-death experience yeah so three years ago when I had my son uh he was 10 pounds seven ounces not supposed to be. Um, <laughs> um, and he had the cord wrapped around his neck. Uh, he was passed to me. Had to be taken away again to be resuscitated. I lost a litre and a half of blood. I had to have half a litre of sepsis removed. Um, yeah, really emergency surgery. We were in hospital for a week. 
I was on blood thinners for about a month. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I can say that he was passed to me dead because at that point they're not necessarily breathing, but he was purple and had to be taken away and alarms went off. Um, oh, so he was born that way? Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, so he was born, he had the cord wrapped around his neck um, and they sort of sat him on me. And you know when you're just looking, uh, obviously he was my first and will be my last, um, but I was looking at him and I'm like, I'm not sure he's supposed to be that colour. And then he was kind of gone. Um, and luckily they did sort of resuscitate him and bring him around. And I got to hold him for a few minutes and then kind of had to rush off for surgery myself. So I think I had him at about 8pm and then didn't see him again until about 3am when I had all the surgery and whatnot. So yeah, it was quite, it was bad. Yeah, that's not good. No. That's not good at all. Um, healthy now though? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's doing really well now. He's still a beast. Oh, well, do you know what? He's very <laughs> slim now. He's very, very tall, but he's so slim. You wouldn't think, oh, yeah, I bet he was a great big Michelin man type. <laughs> yeah. That, <clears throat> do you know what? I think, um, I think that's one one of the... Uh, it's either a fortunate or unfortunate thing, I think, when we're talking about women's mental health and when we're talking about mothers. I do think that... Um, Maybe one of the reasons that women can endure so much more hardship mentally, which you can do, especially when it comes to mothers, is because there's a there's a reason for you to exist outside of yourself. Like, well, you know, you're a mum. Like, if you were to, if suicide was to cross your mind, what happens to your boy? You know what I mean? It's like you you can't afford to be that selfish, whereas I think men, even dads, I think that is not as strong an impulse it is for women. I I really I do think that, I do think that. Uh, I mean, yeah, one of the one of the reasons I ended up turning myself around. One of the, one of the things that would come into my head was was told to me. You know, uh, it was my old man said it. He said. Uh, well, no, he said, imagine what we do to your mum. His words were, because he knew I was thinking dark things. And then when he said that, and I, in my head I thought, shit, imagine what I would do to my kids. But that had to be fed into me externally. Whereas for, I think for a woman, for a mum, that's in you. That's like an intrinsic, it's within you. You don't even, the, it's it, it's a reason to exist. That is just fundamentally inbuilt. You're a mum. You were there. You are literally, you like... You guys, women, are the people who perpetuate the human race. Like every single person on earth came from a woman. Yeah. <laughs> you, know I mean? you know what I mean? I think it's, it's ingrained. I think what there. isn't talked about enough, though, is actually we see in films and things, people, they have this baby and it's like this magical moment and there's this like immediate love, like it's some kind of magic. And actually, I think there's a lot of women out there who don't get that and almost feel a little bit like they're doing something wrong before they've even started. Because what do you mean? What do you mean? So, people see in films and things, a mother is handed this baby and it's like, oh, the love of my life, like nothing else, you know, almost like this ethereal, magic moment of immediate bonding. Um, and obviously I had a very, very traumatic time. So for me, that was considerably prolonged. But I, there's a lot of mothers who I know who 
didn't have such a traumatic time and didn't automatically feel like this weird movie moment of oh, here's my baby and um I don't know I think even so I didn't have a very very good bond with him at the beginning I sort of felt inside myself you know I know how to look after a baby so I'll do that but it was kind of like just running through the steps rather than having this massive urge to do that mothering thing it was just I know how to look after a this Why do you baby. think that was the case then? I think the trauma. I think <clears throat> I think your brain protects you a little bit. And so I think thinking that he could have been dead, your brain automatically goes into a don't absolutely shut down. Because I think imagine back to cave times. If you if I gave birth in a cave, he would have died. There would have been nobody there to resuscitate him. And so what does that cave woman do? Well, her job then is to carry on and probably if she doesn't die herself, which I probably would have done, but <laughs> imagine in a case where she doesn't, the cave woman doesn't die, she then has to go on and try and have another one. So, or you know, I mean, in cave times, I don't know, your baby gets eaten by a lion or something. Like, you, you have your brain has to be able to shut that off, I think, to survive. So, I don't know. I think sometimes people expect women to just have this automatic, absolute adoration mothering feeling that actually a lot of the time doesn't really exist outside of films um but again then like you say you know even when I was in that time and I was you know still looking after him and stuff and kind of I did feel like I loved him but not like I do now fair to say um and I don't know it would still go through my head where I would sort of think to myself if anything, you know, if he died a cot death, say, or, you know, I woke up in the morning and, and something had happened, then I probably would have killed myself. And I remember those thoughts going through my head where still, even though what you expect the bond to be wasn't there, I still felt like he was the priority and he was really my main do only th- reason. Do you think it was a protection measure? So he nearly died that when he was born. You nearly died when he was born. And that was such a traumatic experience that then you then there's a, a subconscious element that says don't get too close to this thing Probably. that could cause you so much drama. Probably. It's a disassociation. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the same as you know, when we were talking about Joe Jukes and her husband had disassociation and when she was talking about oh, it. Oh did he? Okay. Yeah. Right. And when she was sort of telling me about it, I remember thinking it's exactly the same, it's just something that people don't really talk about. I think it's probably more common than anybody realises. How does she describe it? Um, Need to get her in the studio. Yeah, you do. Yeah, <laughs> I would. Yeah, yeah very, very interesting lady. Um, very, very hard story. Can you remember how she described his disassociation? I just remember saying that he had it, and the doctors were saying to him, <laughs> "He doesn't have it. He's just, you know, basically being dramatic, and she's just making excuses for him, essentially." But then. On record, I think it was combat stress, had already said that he had it. Um, but yeah, no, I think a lot of people, whether that be PTSD or depression or whatever, I think you do go into even just a mild form of disassociation because, you know, when you think about how little anything matters to you, you know, when, when people are in that really bad place, nobody sits there thinking about their partner or their kids or life isn't real, is it really? You don't 
everything is bad. Everything's on the negative side. So I think everybody disassociates a little bit. And I think it's just something that it's on a varying scale. Some people get it really, really badly. And some people kind of get it a bit more mildly. But I think it's not something that people really talk about. We always hear PTSD as a term. We always hear depression as a term. You always hear it. But nobody ever really talks about disassociation. It's not plugged into people as much. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I know what you're saying. I I, th- I think as well, though, apart from disos- disassociation, what's more... What people understand is that as you as your as your mental health declines your we were talking about this yesterday when you interviewed me um as your mental health declines in this relative to the declination in your mental health is declination decline in your mental health uh your the accuracy of your perception of events that are going on around you and affect you that reduces it gets less accurate so the further down the hole you go the less you are perceiving the world in the way you should. And so when something happens, e- the, the the less importance you assign it. L- literally to the point that the only thing that can affect you is if it's l- like uh, life impacting, you know, threatening your life. At which point, to what you were saying, you probably don't give a shit. You don't care. You don't care. I remember when I was, when I was 27, 27, 28, I convinced myself, I say I convinced myself, in my head, I, remem- I remember the thoughts, and it was for a long time, at least a year, I was convinced that I wasn't going to make it to my 30s. Within that year, I wasn't coming back, and there was also a, a, this, a, 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 there was another Afghan talking about that, and I was convinced I wasn't coming back. And I wasn't a worrisome thing, but in my head, it's like, no, that's it. Because I got through the first one, I thought, if I... That is, I can't have that much luck the next time. There's no way I'm coming back. It's not happening. But it wasn't a, but that's an indication of the, like, like, it's a problem with your mental health, buddy. <laughs> I didn't think at the time, but you think, if you're thinking that, oh, it's a problem with your mental health, buddy, because you shouldn't be thinking this. You shouldn't be thinking this and be okay with that thought. Because I was just going about, you know, normal, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, it's interesting in it to get to a state where considering if you were to lose your life you wouldn't be bothered that is crazy you know we're sitting here as people who've been through have experienced that feeling that's crazy but at the time you're thinking it that's normal you think there's nothing wrong with it you know back to the point of when you when your mental health declines everything everything you're not perceiving things correctly like everyone else is which is why people outside your friends and family like you you the people closest to you are your assets they can see what's going on so when they're saying to you uh you need to talk to someone you should be listening because they're saying that they know something you don't know they're seeing the world in normal light outside of what you're seeing it yeah yeah bringing you this podcast today ah our rugby for heroes Rugby for Heroes are a not-for-profit organisation founded in 2009 in the wake of the death of Private Joe Whittaker, who was sadly killed on operations serving with the Parachute Regiment in Afghanistan in 2008. Rugby for Heroes fundraise for military charities. They do this by organising high-quality events which revolve around the themes of rugby 
alcohol, live music, good food, good people. Since they were formed, Rugby for Heroes have raised nearly £120,000 for military charities. I have been a beneficiary of theirs in the past, and it's actually how I came to know about Rugby for Heroes, is when they reached out and helped me when I needed it most. And they have helped countless other individuals and countless other organisations help ex-military and servant personnel in their toughest times. Rugby for Heroes have got many events lined up for 2022. They've already held their first event. It was a supper club raising money for the 353 charity and they have got more supper clubs and more festivals on the way. Look at their website, rugbyforheroes.org, to keep up to date when the next events are. Make sure you get along to at least one of them if you can and I will see you there. I've been to every one of their events since I became aware of Rugby Heroes and like I said since they helped me out and I'll be going to every single one of their events in the future wherever possible rugbyforheroes.org or you can find them on social media at Rugby for Heroes at Rugby number four heroes how did you end up getting like what brought you closer to your boy then just happened as life went on was it reconciling the, the trauma yeah so I mean uh, well you know three years has gone by now I've had CBT, EMDR, meds. Um, I I think just time and just... I don't think the CBT really worked. I think the EMDR worked in a very peculiar way. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had EMDR, but it's, it's strange. But it worked for me. Things don't always work for everybody the same. EMDR is a flash of lights, right? So it's uh, like a bar and it the light moves. And you, you just watch the light and it replicates in the parts of your brain where your memories are stored. Some go into kind of temporary storage, essentially, and then go into main storage. If You know, sort of layman's terms for it. Ram and rum. <laughs> um, yeah, so you, when you have something like PTSD, it's because it's stuck in the wrong part. So when you're asleep and most people's sleep is affected if they have something like depression or PTSD. When you sleep, your brain's supposed to be working through all of the issues of the day or period of time. But most people aren't going to be sleeping properly. So their brain never pushes that trauma or that memory into the right part of the brain that stores it away. And so what EMDR does, when you watch that light moving it triggers the part of the brain that's similar to when you're in, a, in when you're asleep and so it helps to push it through and kind of i remember i wasn't particularly thinking about anything but i would just be watching this light and i would just start crying and i couldn't even really tell you why and by the end of it i would just feel lighter and it was because something had shifted in there um so yeah it was a bit of a strange fascinating one but yeah, going back to what we were saying, though, I think just time helped and just a lot of mothers have to take a little bit of time to bond because postpartum <coughs> and all the rest of it. Um, and, you know, as he's got older as well and he's got his little personality and. Yeah, I think I think everything you can work through. I mean, I don't I don't know to what extent you ever fully get rid of rid of PTSD or if it just becomes lighter and you just become more used to recognising bad days. Um, but yeah. 
you had had a daughter and she wanted to join the army? No. What would you say? Absolutely not. Why? Me having a son, I will not let him join the army. Oh, really? <laughs> no. Go on. Um, I know some people join and they have a really great time and they love it and... You know, there'll be lots of people, <laughs> if anybody watches me, <laughs> watching this, thinking, oh, no, I joined the army, I had a great time, what you want about? But for me, I think I really saw the worst of the army. And I think it's very, very easy when you have a good time doing something to kind of di stick your head in the sand and ignore the fact that people don't have a good time. And I think it's probably one of the reasons that veterans as a community get a little bit taken the mick out of by systems that are supposed to support us. So, you know, all the time we hear people sort of whinging about Veterans UK and AFCUS and all this. But the only reason they get away with it is because we're not really unified in what we expect. So if I if I sit here now and say uh, X, Y and Z happened to me in the military, a lot of people aren't going to connect with that because it's so kind of out the out the boat beyond, you know, say, say for you, you deployed and then your mental health declined because of that. But outside of that deployment, you probably had a reasonably good career. You probably enjoyed it for the most part. Now, for me, I wasn't allowed to deploy. So to think I left the military, not just because of my son's birth, having PTSD, but also it was sort of like CPTSD because it's from other things as well. For me to have left, I joined at 20. I was med discharged at 25. Osteoarthritis in my spine, nerve damage in my leg absolute mess mentally <laughs> um not helped by the system fair to say um shouldn't really have happened and so for me it's very easy for me to look at it and go the system isn't doing enough and i think sometimes if you have a really good time it's hard for you to see how somebody else could have had that bad time it's very easy to connect with somebody when you've had the exact same experience. But, you know, for me, if I sit here and I listen to stories of you in Afghanistan, I can sit there and I could sympathise or whatever feelings. <laughs> I could say, you know, whatever feelings, but I'm not going to understand it. And it's exactly the same. You can't fully understand what it's like to join something, have an idea in your head, plan a career, and then that system essentially just shat on you. <laughs> Um, and I think I think sometimes it's very very difficult for people to understand that you can still be proud of people joining the military being in the military um, and not be happy with the system and I think that's where, where it comes into it for me personally I don't think enough is done to protect people's mental health had you been diagnosed with PTSD before you left You shouldn't have been allowed to leave. That's my opinion on it. Yeah, but I was pushing for it Oh, as okay. well, to be fair, because I, I'm not going to go into massive amounts of detail, but, you know, I had a very, very horrible time from a, a lot of layers of the military. So it wasn't just, you know, Joe Blogsy is not being very nice to me. You know, it was... A, a sort of battalion-wide, you know, even up to brigade, there was failings. Um, and I just think that it's very, very easy for people to join the military and for people to, you know, here's 14 weeks, 28 weeks, 
you know, however long when you add all the training together, of this is who we need you to become. Become it. But then there's nothing that says this is how you look after your mental health when you're here. This is, you know, because we're not allowed a union. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we're not allowed a union. Um, but when you consider things like we all know somebody who's had a bad time. Even you, talking to you yesterday, you, for 10 years, you know, you could talk about there, you had those feelings before you went to Afghan the second time. Like, how was that never picked up? And you could say, oh, but, you know, then the rest of my career, you know, but I enjoyed it and I, you know, I don't know, you left, oh, I got a pension and happy days. But actually, in that time, how on earth did nobody pick up? And had you been picked up then at that point in time, would you have been so suicidal all those years later? Probably not. And so for me... I just don't think it's a safe system. And I don't want to get all, you know, the military is the military. It has to be the military. So, you know, I'm not getting to get all flowery about it. <laughs> um, but I do think that there is a general need. Everybody suffers with mental health problems, but, you know, a civvy will probably just go to the doctor. We don't tend to do that because we think it's going to affect our career. So even little things like that. I know lads now who've gone to the doctor and been told to man up. You know, we're in 2022. In military, in, mm -hmm. so, yeah. by, by an M.O., his That's is his is Afghan attributed. Got worse with the fallout of Afghan. I ended up bringing a major that I knew. The evacuation, you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I rang a major that I know at PIU who got in touch with the PIU near him. He's now on sick leave. PIU. So it's uh, rehabilitation unit. Yeah. 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 Um, but he he was just expected to be back at work, which I just don't think is normal. Um. You know, everything has a positive and a negative. You know, the, there are good things to the military, but I just think there's a lot that needs to be worked on and I don't think that there's enough veteran or serving military perspective being taken into account. I think it'll change over time. Right? Mm. And, and the reason I think it'll change... Well, right, well pro one of the problems is is that the length of term of people in command appointments is so short. That's one issue, two years, generally, right? And and you couple that with all they want is, so we're talking from platoon commander up to company commander, flipping, you know, CO, brigade commander, and up, right? And on the on the lower levels, the the they want, I'm generalising, they want everything to be positive, everything to go swimmingly, not have any issues within the unit, because that's, that's what's perceived as best for their career advancement. And they're only there for two years, so who gives a shit? Right, what, what's going on with the men or with the women? Or with a combination of both, whatever the unit they're in. Um, and I am generalising. Obviously, there are units that are better at it than others there are individuals that are better at, better at better at it than others um but i do think it'll improve i think it is improving now right but also i think it'll improve further over time and I, the reason i think that is because it's improving in, in the civilian world so companies especially big corporations they are the, the they are seeing the benefit in providing better mental health support to the employees in or just support in general life su 
life support's wrong word, but better support the employees, of which a big factor is mental health support. Because what companies, what the better companies now realizing is, if you spend money on providing mental health support to your employees, providing X, Y, and Z network within it, providing this, that, and the other, um, you know, um, medical um, uh, m- medical benefits you get. Like where where I work in, in Marsant, there's I can pick up the phone and be on the phone to consultant about a physical or mental health issue, and I can be in with a consultant today and go and see them. There's there's networks, employee networks within. If I got a problem, I can go and drop an email, drop a message, and get help straight away, straight away. And there's mechanisms in place that ensure that I would not be discriminated against because I flagged up a mental health issue, for example. And the reason companies are doing that is is not because oh it's the right thing to do, no. They're realizing that the benefit of that is, is that if the work, if you're doing, if you're spending that money in the workforce, putting those mechanisms in place to support the workforce, mental health-wise, the workforce is happier, more content in general. That means the workforce has a higher quality of output. They're more productive. When a workforce is more productive, that increases the profit margin. Like as crudely as you want to put it, that's what happens. Happier workforce, better output. More money being made for the company, right? Fact, fact. I think that will spill over to the military because although the military is not about profit, when you've got a, a more productive workforce in the military, that means it actually means less dramas, less mental health dramas, less horrendous videos getting circulated online <laughs> from s- soldiers doing flipping stuff that not that they not should be doing, but not should be fucking videoing at the very least, right? You know, less uh, less uh, domestic abuse problems, less uh, scrapping in town, less insubordination issues. This is to me why I get irritated because we sit here and talk about it, and it's such common sense. And yet, how are people who are on such? Well, no, it's common sense to you, me, though, Savannah. It's not common sense to Joe Bloggs. So there were people listening to this, they'd be thinking, oh. Oh yeah, actually, yeah, I can see. Oh yeah, what? what no, but you imagine now your minister, whoever, your minister, whoever, or your general, whoever, and your wages, general Keir. however many zeros on the end of it, right? <laughs> and yet we've managed to sit here and say, <laughs> if you look after your workforce's mental health, they will might be better on deployments. They might become less physically injured. They might be less on the sick. They might have less problems at home like are you telling me three-star general head up his ass on however many zeros on the end of his wage couldn't have come up with this (laughs) like and i know you're you say they're like oh you know i think we will move towards it but haven't they been moving towards it for like 20 years (laughs) i I think it's accelerated (laughs) i think i think afghan accelerated it and iraq i think i think the i think the conflicts of of the noughties Mm. Uh, has accelerated, accelerated the conversation. I think it's accelerated on paper. And I'm very opinionated on this because it's all I focus on at the minute. Because, you know, with me creating this app um, f- around veteran mental health, you know, I think it's one thing to shimp and moan and then not do anything. But, you know, I put my complaints into action <laughs> and I'm trying to, you know, make the difference here. But I, I think there's a lot of very, very good policy around all sorts of things on paper i'm sure the military looks as if it's doing really really very well but when you're actually on the ground how much of that is actually making it to unit and i don't think it's that much not from what well not from what i've seen and i haven't been to every unit across you know the military and i you know can't talk tri service even but from my experience i only left last year there's things that 
the the last um, army sergeant major was apparently working on lots of stuff to do with mental health. I didn't hear any of that reach unit. Um, I don't think anything <laughs> reached unit to do with anything. Battalion welfare wasn't set up in a way that worked. Army welfare, I couldn't see how it was set up in a way that worked. And so for me, from my own experience, I just... I think there's some very, very basic and simple things that it could be done does to make life unit easier. Unit. So yeah. what I will say is the, the, the Power Edge welfare system is fucking incredible. Like, not joking. Like, incre- and I only re- I only now know how good it is from hearing other people, like you, other people's experience in the description of stuff that's gone on mm. or people that ain't you anymore when they fucking should be here mm. because there's a welfare system that's, that's failed. You know, um, uh, uh, I had um, oh. bringing you this podcast today are the Aardvark Group. Founded in 1982, Aardvark has established itself as a major player in its field, renowned for its exceptional technology and innovative propositions that have supported countless defence ministries, the humanitarian and NGO sectors, and commercial operators in theatres of war and post-conflict environments around the world. Aardvark is foremost a humanitarian organisation working to help rid the world of the explosive remnants of war. Their technologies are uniquely developed by operators for operators, which ensures that every product, system or platform conforms to the essential criteria of stability, survivability and reliability. Aardvark know that to have a truly lasting positive impact, their technologies must be cost effective. And so they've commissioned a number of projects with their research partners to develop technical innovations with a core aim of delivering affordable solutions that can be deployed directly into communities to reduce the incidence of accidents and deaths due to explosive threats. As well as their core products and services, they also have an online shop where if you're an individual who works in a post-conflict zone in a high threat situation, in a high threat environment, you can get kit from Aardvark. Their website is aardvark.group. Go there and at checkout, use the discount code H-H-O-U-R. And while you're there, make sure you check out all of their products, all their services, including unmanned ground and air vehicles. Uh, Sammy Ferguson in. Uh, do you know? No, she's uh, she widow. Her, her fellow is um, a, a mate. I say mate. He was a mate, but um, not a close friend. But um, he was a medic, and he, he he blew his head off with a shotgun two years ago, serving. And the failings there within the military, mm. unbelievable, unbelievable. There's no way he should have. He should still be here now. Mm. Got to the point where took a shotgun and blew his fucking head off. Crazy. Crazy. Um, and one of you ever things like that, I think the power edge system is incredible. Like it really is. You know, um for when you're serving and when you're not, you know, outside of it. So our the power edge association plays a big part when you flag something up to the PRA. Well, when you flag something up uh anything, not just mental health wise, like any issue you've got, flag it up. Um it goes straight to regimental welfare. If you're not even in anymore, it's mm. it's incredible. Um, and I I think it's only I think, like I said, things are improving, but not to the speed they need to improve. And as things improve, mm. I think that you know the, the, the units that are falling behind on mm. 
standards of welfare support will have to up their game. So it's yeah, standardised across the board. Baseline, but, it, but, but when I say it's improving, when I think of where, how long will it take to get to where it needs to be, mm. I reckon 20, 25 years. And the reason I say that is because the people who are platoon commanders now who have the knowledge and the current understanding of mental health and that they don't have a stigma against they're talking like you and I talk. I think that is, you know, that's just in general now, young folk, <laughs> you know, like early 20s, they have a, they're just much more open to talking about it. It's not as stigmatized as it was when we were young. So it, they need to get to those higher How positions. How old do you think I am? No, you're in your 20s. Yeah. yeah I know that. <laughs> Young, I just I said early twenty <laughs> young folk. Um, uh, they need to get to the colonel, mm. brigadier, general positions. And th- at that point, when their generation below me, not us, below me, <laughs> get to that point, then it'll be a, a very different. But it could happen faster. Yeah, I, I mean, that's when I my d- issue because we're now supposed supposed to be at a kind of fifteen year high, roughly, for suicides. Um, recently, I've seen so many posts. There was a, a bloke down in Folkestone. There was a couple of young lasses near Salisbury. There was a guy, Catrick. I mean, he wasn't found dead for about three weeks over Christmas leave. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, so many things that are coming up. And to say 25 years, I mean, I'm, I'm 26, so that's my entire life again before, you know, some of them, some of them are like 18. Some of them, you know, you think most people leave the military, even if they do a full career, in the 40s. So some some people here, and you can expect generally to live probably to at least around 80. So that's half a life gone. What needs changing? What would you change? I know you've su- you've been suggesting policy changes. So what, have you, what changes have you been suggesting to what policies? So, well, for me, I had a big issue on, on to do with the maternity. So I've asked for some policy changes around maternity because I think that'll safeguard. What was your experience? Where did that come from? So I just didn't have any of my maternity health paperwork or anything done. <laughs> for what? For, for when leave? I was when I was on maternity. So you, when you leave in a unit, it was supposed to be a whole maternity handbook, and you're supposed to have certain paperwork done. You're supposed to keep in touch with the unit, have different things. When you're on maternity leave. Yeah. yeah. So that and you you know you sign off to say if you don't want them to stay in touch with you, or you sign to say if you do, how often, and it's supposed to kind of keep that foothold a little bit um some of it's safeguarding as well um but none of that really was done for me and the army's acknowledged that that wasn't done so like i can talk about that um but just things like that where i just think it's all fine and dandy having a really brilliant maternity policy and they do the policy on, in writing is really really good but if you have nothing implementing that then this is how it becomes a very very slippery slope where something goes wrong and then you can't get support for it and you don't know where to go to and before anybody can get involved in it at a unit level it's already 20 times worse so little things like that where i've just said you know something needs implementing to ensure that that policy is happening um but even little things i mean recently there's been a big group of women um who went and talked to some ministers about sexual assault and harassment and kind of how that is dealt with in the military um i know the minister who was dealing with it was getting quite a lot of harassment off military men which comes back to our who was the minister ben wallace, um, ben wallace? 
Sarah Atherton, I think her name is. Oh, yeah. And she, I know it was getting all sorts on social media from blokes, ex-military blokes, um, about it. In what, in what way? Just generally around kind of why are you doing this and highlighting this and got a lot of aggravation for it, which comes back to what I was saying before about kind of if people want things to get better, they have to, we have to stick together as a veteran community to get things done. I know what you mean. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm shaking my head because it's just not what happened. No, I know, but that's why things don't yeah, get better. Yeah, but it's, yeah. you know, everybody sits there and says, you know, well, women can do this as long as they're equal to us, blah, blah, blah. But it's the same when things go wrong. Like, you can't... You can't just then kick her last when she's down <laughs> because it hasn't affected you or because it's not something that you consider. So... What do you mean? And so, like, me a real so, so specifically for this one, it's just about... In terms of what we're talking about there with Sarah Atherton, so that it was all women that sort of were there. I'm sure there is men who've had issues as well to do with it. But Sexual harassment issues in yeah, the workplace. Or, yeah, you know, I'm sure there was probably some. But, you know, it's very, very easy for a bloke to sit there being a little keyboard warrior saying, oh, you know, women in the military, blah, blah, blah. But that's a woman there who, if that was your wife or your daughter or your mother who's been raped or who something's happened, you would not be happy with it. So I think it's very, very easy yeah. to sit there and jump on it and whinge about it but if I said to you now oh, your wife has just been raped in the workplace and nothing's happened about it yeah. <laughs> you know so you've yeah. got to kind of level it out similarly you know my story off of this to do with the way that the battalion was with me after I'd had my son and, and things kind of went sideways um, and I not long afterwards saw a lad from the battalion good friend of mine and his wife had had the affair and she went to welfare and said oh he's done x y and z and they were on him like dogs on a fox <laughs> and he he had an awful time and he's off on the sick now um oh my God. because his mental health just went horrendous um and you know they were straight on that even though sh she wasn't even in the military and it wasn't true anyway and they found it not to be true um but for me it was like, she's just attached to us. She's not one of us. So we'll just close ranks and we'll try and push her to sign off and we'll leave her to it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I just think it's just not the reason things don't change. And I think we sit there and we people laugh about it. And I'm sure people will sit and watch this and they'll people will be commenting, oh, you know, sitting there saying this, X, Y, and Z. But if I then kill myself tomorrow... It'll be the same people saying more needs to be done about veteran suicide. <laughs> yeah. You can't have it but both ways. Those keyboard, <laughs> those keyboard warriors, like uh, you, you need to take comfort in the fact that what this, <laughs> I suggest, <laughs> what what they are saying online is not who they, what they think. Yeah, they, but it but it I, bleeds I, into I, the real world. It, I'm not saying <laughs> I know I'm not saying that's okay, but you know they just they just balance the the veteran community online. Oh my god, <laughs> there are some. Have you ever been on ours? A-R-R-S-C. I've heard of it, yeah. I don't really go on it. You go on, I mean, that is a forum, like old school forum. Right. Like, before you were even on computers, <laughs> forum, right? My God. What? What? I mean, there's some good people in there, like positive people, but oh my God. Yeah, it's always oh worth shouting God. out. There oh are some brilliant people. God. 
what a cesspit. What a cesspit. <laughs> you know, like... Uh, just the worst kind of I think of it's a shame because we military, almost, almost let that? ourselves down because we have people who are really fighting and working to build a community where people can get advice and people can get support. And I know I've spoken to probably hundreds of veterans since I've left and all of them have been, you know, really keen to get on board either with the charity side of it or the podcast side of it. And I don't know these people and they've just been like, yeah, you know, we want to try and do something positive and people, you know, do band together. You know, we see it at Remembrance Day. People come together all for the same thing. But then every now and again, there is just that let down moment, isn't there? And I think that's what it comes down to. Well, there's a lot of balance. <laughs> we're like any, we're like any, we're like any section of society, right? We just happen to all be the same thing, military or ex-military, right? And we have a fair percentage of balance. But the difference is, a significant percentage of those of those who are balance, they also think there's something special because they're ex-military, and they think that gives them a God-given right to be to be a balance. Or it makes them think that their opinion is any more valuable than a civilian. Bear in mind, they're fucking civilians too. Like, I'm a civilian, you're a civilian, right? And then they also then feel the need to have an opinion on something, which they probably haven't even thought through. I mean, for a perfect example of that, go to any Fill Your Boots post on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and look in the comments. Look in the comments. Crazy. Like, you know, <coughs> if it was Philly Boots post a, a picture of a, like a dodgy meal served up at some shit old canteen, some barracks somewhere. Look at the comments in there. Oh God, just just morons. A lot of morons. Not everyone's morons because it's probably some of my comments in there sometimes, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's uh, it, it, it is it. We are. We don't portray ourselves very well on social media at all. In general, in general, you know, um, and uh, you're right. Yeah, we do contradict ourselves, you know, in on social media, but also in practice, like you're saying there. This is the problem. It is a big problem with the acts and debts, though. You know, so you, the unit you were attached to was a frontline unit, and quite naturally and importantly, they the they their focus is on the maintenance of morale in their unit. I remember I've been, you know, part of Reg. I remember acts and debts. You know, we get attachments in SIGs or in or whatever. I definitely didn't think of them in the same way I thought of my men. I didn't. I didn't. And I also knew that they wouldn't be there in a year's time. They'd after the tour would be gone, or after the exercise would be gone. Um not that I tra- treated them any less, but but the the point is that uh I can see how for leaders, commanders who are not of the quality they should be, how easy it would be to just go, yeah, we'll just uh, just get get rid of her. She's going to be gone. This is not our problem. Going to be gone. Someone else's problem. Which is, and the reason I say it's a problem for us, attachments or um, you know the, the cause. Um, is that you're not very well looked after. I mean, but back to um, Fergie, uh, the, the medic who killed himself. Medic, constantly attached to different units. They're constantly getting his welfare being paid lip service to. Lip service to. Yeah. 
I am pretty sure he was attached to it. Oh no, a different unit. I'm talking about Alpha. Different, but connected. Just realised. Anyway, anyway. Right, tell me about the app. We've got about we've got about five minutes left, right? Tell me about the app you developed, because as if you've not told me before. <laughs> because it's fucking great. I, I really like it. I really like the idea of it. Right, so explain it to me like it's the first time. Yeah. So it works by veterans sets up a profile. Not much information on there. Um, just enough that they can add in a nominated contact. So it might be a friend, cousin, wife, whoever you want. And they select a charity from a list. So at the minute, as mentioned, uh, we have like Rock to Recovery, All Call Signs, Phoenix Heroes, a few regional ones. More discussions happening, so hopefully that list is going to keep growing. Um, and it basically works by you just pressing a button to highlight that you are mentally not feeling very well. And they then are alerted so they can contact you. So you don't have to wait until you're in the worst time. Someone just might feel off or, you know, you whatever's sort of going wrong, so to speak. Um, and rather than having to troll the internet, get in touch with a charity, find out they're not the right one, they can't do anything, get in touch with another one, don't hear back. It's just a list of charities that have signed up because they want to use it and will use it. And then you don't even have to find the words to go in and say, I'm struggling because you've pressed that button and that's already informed them that you need some kind of support. If I had had that when I was at my worst times, oh my God, I wouldn't have got through those worst times. I'm, I'm, this is, I, I, lo I love the idea. I love the idea. I'm obviously preaching that I've heard you. There's a reason you did it. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to explain it for, for, for why I love it, right? It's because when I was at my darkest, probably similar to you and other people, um, didn't want to talk to anyone. I may at times have wanted to get help, but I also didn't want to talk to anyone. I couldn't face people. This is like a, this solution to that. Because like you said, you tap a button, open the app, and go, hit the red, I haven't seen the app, but you know, hit, hit the button that says, I ain't good, effectively. I am not good. I need support, yeah? And then, all that, th instead of me having to reach out and swallow that pride pill of, hi, uh, I'm not great, can you help me? That eliminates that part of the conversation. And then someone gets in contact with me without me having to ask for it. I'm just pushing the button. Someone gets in contact with me. I, I fucking love the idea. I think it's a really, really, really uh, useful tool. It amazes me it's not been thought of before. So well done. It amazes <laughs> me. So simple. So simple, yeah. so simple. It is, it's designed to just be so basic because people like me who aren't really big on tech, <laughs> it's just, yeah, one button, done. So what's the app called? So it hasn't really got a name yet <laughs> because we're not, it's not out yet. So it's about 80% developed. So we're just finishing now, getting some final funding, getting it completed, and then it should be out probably in the next couple of months. Um, what are going to call it? So the charity's your backup. Yeah. Um, so is that your charity? Yeah. So yeah. that's on Instagram now, um, alongside the podcast that we've been doing with your episode as well now. Um, 
through veterans thoughts and so yeah it'll all be updated on there and yeah it should be out a bit later this year what it's called what you're back at we just look at yeah. instagram there you are oh you are back yeah okay you you are, are space back. back space up oh yeah it's a little yellow eagle type top thing. one yeah excellent Okay, so it's uh, you are backup underscore CIC. CIC or a charity? So it's CIC for now, which yeah. is like a charitable organisation essentially. And then because the process is a nightmare. <laughs> and then next year when the app is actually there, then we're going to become an actual just charity. And Rock to Recovery on board. All call signs are on board. Who else? Phoenix Heroes, who are over in Colchester. That's Gary, right? Yep. Guys, Stockton. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. yep, yep. Um, and then a few regional, little regional ones. So. Yeah. Excited. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we can help I, people out. <laughs> I like that. Like, when it comes out, I'll be downloading that. Honestly, Good. Good. Um, I'm mean, gonna be working on it now for just over twelve months. You know, I don't get paid or anything, so I'm just hoping it's gonna help yeah. as many people as we can. So the like the I, the the thing that I had that was the same thing but more complicated <laughs> was a a friend who made me who who made me promise that when I was feeling horrendous um that I would call him. And uh I hated the idea of that. I hated it because I didn't speak to someone. But he, what he said is oh, all you have to do is call me. You don't have to talk say anything if you don't want to. But just when you're bad, just call me. And sometimes I would call him and I wouldn't even say anything. He'd go right and I maybe I would say something. Maybe I didn't say anything, but he was on the end of the phone, and then he would just know. Then I wasn't good, but it was tough to make that call every time. It was really hard, really hard. But what your app does is eliminates that, mm. eliminates that need. I don't have to call up. I can just hit the button. Like it's, for, I think for people who haven't been that sort of depth of shitness, <laughs> it's hard to understand mm. the value of it. It's hard to understand the value of it. Um, but I know multiple people who will, would have this app. Multiple people, you know. When you, so question for you. Mm -hmm. When you hit the red button, it, 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 so it, when you've got that, you can nominate a contact on there. Mm -hmm. Tell me what happens when you hit the button. Does it contact the charity? So it, and it pings up to the contact and the charity. And so the point is somebody will get in touch with you. How's the charity selected? So there's a list of charities that are on there. Yeah. When you sign up, you pick one. You can change it at any time. Oh. Um, and then it alerts them on their account. And on their end, so obviously you wouldn't say this, but on their end, it triages veterans. So yeah. they can see, here's all our people who are in the worst colour code and this is how long they've been there for. So it works well for them as well to just uh. monitoring who they need to see. And So I could have on, so on the, I download the app and I go in, okay, I'm going to select... Rock to Recovery or Phoenix Heroes or flipping 353 and I'm going to say oh Savannah and then I hit the red button and let's say it's 353 or let's say it's Phoenix Heroes Phoenix Heroes gets mm -hmm. a ping and you get a ping mm -hmm. and so what does the nominated contact get then? A text? An so, email? Yeah so it like it pops up like a notification on the app so it'll pop up on Telling the phone Telling you like, yeah, hey saying, he's not great yeah, maybe you should get in touch pinged, with him yeah. And then they get in touch with you. That is fucking awesome. That is fucking awesome. It's great. Hopefully. Good luck with it. Yeah. Thank what you. have we not covered that you wanted to cover? Anything else you um, want to cover? 
No, I think that's pretty much everything I'm up to. I mean, I'm doing my Fan Dance Olympic Triathlon. Yes. <laughs> um, just to raise a bit of awareness the, uh, and a bit of money it, for the app. You're going to turn it into an event, aren't you? Yeah. So you've invented so, yeah. the Fan Dance Triathlon. Yes. So, <laughs> so you just told you. Sorry, you just told me this for two minutes before the podcast. So uh, that is, uh, you're going to swim a lake yeah, in so Brecon. Yeah, swim the lake at the bottom of Penny Van. Yeah. 40 kilometre bike ride around Brecon. Fan dance, not in the time, but I am doubling up and doing it with 40 kilos because <laughs> I got pounds weight, and that. kilos confused. So oh now we're doing my. it with 40 kilos. Did um, you meant to put pounds? I think it should have been because I think oh that's what they do God. it with. That's like twice the weight. <laughs> so I've been 35 you know, kilos on my back up and down this hill near my house. Do you know um, how many pounds that is? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not bad. far off 100 pounds, that. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to hurt. Oh my God. <laughs> Bear in mind, I have osteoarthritis in my spine and nerve damage oh in my, my legs. God. So it's, it's going to hurt. You rethink that. <laughs> you really change your pounds. But, no, but I'm like looking forward to it. And I know it's for a good cause. And it's what that I'm is a fucking about, awesome so, event. No one's yeah. done it. And you're going to turn it into an event, and fundraising then, yeah, event once next we've, year. Once we've done it now, trialed it, hopefully raise some money, hopefully raise some that awareness next mega. year. Yeah, like we'll open that. it up. I like that. Very different. Very different. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, right, I just want to. Oh, I do want to say before we, before we switch off the um, the Instagram account mm-hmm. for you backup. I'll explain it. So it's you are so uniform Romeo backup. You are backup underscore CIC for anyone uh, looking for it. Um, follow that now. Yeah, and then uh, yeah. So later this year, app will be out. I'll be downloading it one hundred percent. Hopefully, other Good. people will download it. And. Um, Great. Mega. It's mega. Good luck. You know, good Thank luck you. with the future. Good luck with the app. Um, how long have you been out now? You've not been out long. No. Uh, last March. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Achieving so much already. <laughs> Jesus <Hitting> Christ. Hard. <laughs> uh, uh, anything I can do to support, you know, let us know. Um, and I'm sure people listening to this will, will be able to support as well uh, if you need it. And... Um, no, good luck. Brilliant, thank you. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for having me.